You heard about the lady who uh, was sitting in front of the congregation and the pastor was making an appeal for money. Uh, this, uh, this was a saddle lady. Years ago, the English used to call them spinsters. In fact, do you know that on a marriage application, you still have to fill, are you a spinster or not? Anyway, she was in the front, and the pastor said, now, okay, so we, if anyone would come up and uh, bring a thousand dollars, I'd let them, I'd let them select the hymns, three hymns. And so the lady pushed up behind a thousand dollars. Okay, come on up. You could select the hymns, three of them. So okay, you came up and she looked around, so I'll take him, him, and him. All right. We welcome you this morning. Thank you for coming. And uh, uh, the, uh, make sure on the Bahamas Democratic Party, right? We give you a special welcome as well. We had an enjoyable time with... I don't see him here. What happened to him? He came to visit me, the young man. He isn't here. What's his name? That's right. Tell him he's in trouble because he came to talk and he didn't show up to church. <laughs> All right? Good to see you. Appreciate you choosing Calvary Bible to visit today. And also bringing the little one along. Thanks a lot. Jim Bradley is back. Jim, you've been away for a long time. Good to see you. All right. All right. His son, by the way, has just been made the national, is it national area director for the navigators in the, in the entire United States. What about Canada? Just United States? Just U.S. The Navigators is a tremendous ministry. In fact, when I was a young Christian, that was some time ago, uh, when I was a young Christian, Navigators uh, was a great part of my growing up. Scripture memorization, leading people to Christ, follow-up, that was their focus, and uh, great ministry. So we're looking forward to his visit sometime down here. Bow with me, please, as we open the Word. Father, thank you for the awareness of your presence in our midst. Thank you that because you are here, we can rejoice in the good things that you have been so gracious to bestow, bestow upon us. Thank you for your word now. And as it is opened, we pray. Uh, in fact, we thank you now that it, for the fact that it will accomplish the purpose for which you have it to go forth today. May lives be touched and changed. May saints be transformed so that they become more Christ-like. And may those who know not Christ be encouraged to place faith in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, last week we started a, a short series on the church as a spiritual family. And we started on Lord's Day uh, evening service, so we're going to do a little summary, a little review. Because as most of you know, most of you are not here Sunday evening. I'm just stating the fact. I'm not to jibe or anything, but most of you are not here. So we're going to do a little review. And the reason why we're focusing on this, because I've become more and more convinced and impressed with the fact that we have missed out on the true significance of the church being a family. There are many figures or metaphors in Scripture for the church. For instance, the church is seen as a body. And one of the primary focus there, of course, is unity and diversity and interdependence upon one another. Uh, that's one of the focus for the metaphor of the, 
of the body. The word church itself presents the idea of order and organization where God, the God of honor, does everything decently and in order. And, and sometimes we focus on these metaphors so much, we neglect, I believe, what is the most prominent metaphor given in Scripture for the church. And the fact that it is so prominent and so dominant in Scripture is actually one of the reasons why we've overlooked it, because it's so pervasive. And you know, if you have something so pervasive, you take it for granted. And so that's what we want to do to bring it to your attention again, what the Scripture has this uh, say about the church as a spiritual family and the implications of that. Now, as I say in the first part, we're going to go through it a little quickly because we did it. We did some of this last week. And in fact, we would have been on our third message on this today. But as you know, last time we talked to the men, sort of switched it right at the last moment. And that's why we're bringing in this today. Now, before we used to say in a certain group that I used to be with because we were called brethren, you know, we used to say this, if we is brethren, we is family. Therefore, let's treat all believers like we is one, because we is. Because we is one, we should treat one another as family, because family is one. Now, I want to point out this fact here, and this is what I want you to get here. Terms concepts, phrases concerning the family dominate scripture when it talks about Christians, more so than the body, more so than the church. For instance, family terms are used to describe the church. The first is the household of God. Listen to Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now notice, and are of God's household. Now look at verse 22. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So God is dwelling in the household of God. God the Spirit is dwelling within the household of God. Look at 1 Timothy 3 verse 14. And this is a tremendous passage we'll come back to. He says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in what? The household of God. In other words, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to show him, to detail for him, to outline for him how believers are to behave in the household of God. In other words, in the family of God. You see, when we put in the church there, we think of organization. But now put in the thought the family of God he's writing to show us how to behave in the family of God which is the church of the living God the pillar and support of the truth now notice this very carefully let's look at that verse again I'm writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long but in case I am delayed I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself notice now in the household of God which is what the church of the living God. And so the household of God is the church of the living God. That word household means family. The family of God is the church of the living God in which the Spirit of God dwells. And he goes on and says, the 
pillar and support of the truth. If it's anywhere that truth should be manifested, it's in the family of God. You see. But notice Galatians 6.10. While we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now notice, and especially to those who are in the family of God. Especially, we are to be kind, gracious to everyone. But especially, more so, top priority, the members in your own family. Do you get it? That's what he's saying here. So then, while we have the opportunity... Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are members of your own family of faith. That's what he's saying. Family of faith. Now, look at another word, the bride or, or, or the wife of Christ in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify him, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church. In all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves. Notice wife, bride. Those are family terms, concepts. But family terms are also used to describe the members of the church. Romans 15, 14, concerning you, my brethren. You see, this is it. The word brethren is used so much through Scripture concerning the church, we don't think anything about it. But brethren has the idea of family. Same way as bride and wife and household of God. I myself also am convinced that you are, yourselves are filled with goodness and so on. But my brethren, look at 1 John 2, 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. Who is the brother? The brother is another believer. But it's not just somebody who's a member of a club, member of an organization. It's somebody who's a part of a spiritual family. That's the point. He's trying to tell us here, and he does it again and again and again, that we are to treat other believers for what they are. What are they? Members of the family of God, a family, not an organization. We've lost that concept. First John 2, 9. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. You get that? How can you be in a family and hate your brother or sister, your sibling? But that's what happens in the body of Christ at times, don't we? We just look at the other person as someone out there. Someone out there. But they're part of the family. That's what he's getting at here. And that's what we're trying to get here. If we could get the concept that the church is a family, we're going to treat one another different. That's the point, you see. Child, children, 1 John 2, 1. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. First John chapter 1 verse 11. He came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them he gave the right to become the members of an organization. Does it say that? To become what? The children of God. That's a family. What is God? Who is God? He is a father. You understand? He's a father. We are related to him in a family way. That's the point he's making. And we miss that. Notice 
in First Thessalonians 2, 7. The terms father and mother by Paul. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. Verse 11, as you know how we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Notice the family terminology. In fact, family terms are used to describe salvation. We are born again into the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God. When we come into the family of God, we are are reborn. It's a rebirth. All of these have to do with family relationships, a family concept. In fact, even when Paul talks about how we should relate to one another in describing relationships, we are to admonish one another how? As brothers. We exhort one another how? As fathers. We are to love how? As brothers. Then he makes the appeal. 1 Timothy 5.1, which we'll be studying in a moment. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger man as brothers. The older women as mothers. And the younger women as sisters in all purity. He is not talking about an organization. He's not talking about a club. He's talking about a family. The people of God, they're a family. Do you get the message? It's all through Scripture, but we've overlooked it. My friends, Christians are called sons of God and children of God in contrast to non-Christians who are outside of God's family. There are only two families on this earth. The family of God and the family of the devil. That's all. And we saw last evening, on last Lord's Day evening, John writes to show how we can tell the difference. And we're coming back to that this evening. First John 5 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, is a child of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. <clears throat> Notice now, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. In other words, you cannot say you love God who is Father and hate his children. Impossible. A mark of a genuine Christian is that you love your brothers and sisters the same way you love God. Now we see, we learn that that love comes as shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because listen, it takes divine love to love some members of the family. Somebody told me that just anyway. Now, to, have, to be called a child of God has many implications. By the way, I want you to understand, we're talking about the Word of God. One of the things that was impressed upon me at this seminar was the lies that have been told. And the lies that the world is presenting to us and believers are accepting. And we're not accepting the truth. It's a dark, it's this contrast here, you see. It's a contrast here. And here's the truth. Members of the body of Christ, the one family, and we are to love one another the way God loves us. That's the truth. Now, if you come and says, well, you know, I can see that, but boy, you know, look where he come from. I know he came from Christ. I know all that. I know he's a member of this church, but you know, he used to be an alcoholic. He's a drug addict, you know. And you go, all on, you know, yeah, I'll... No, 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 no. You can't treat a brother or sister like that. 
that person is really a born-again Christian, he came from the same father that you came from. You understand what I'm saying? He belongs to the same father. She belongs to the same father as you belong to. You see, that's what you've got to get in your mind. You're going to believe what God tells you, not what you want to believe. Because of your tradition, because of the way you were brought up. Uh-uh. You see, it's a whole new world. When we become believers, we enter, we enter a new family, a new sphere that's so different. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. Now, ring on here. To be called a child has many implications. Here are some of them. First, we have intimate fellowship with God the Father. According to Romans 8.15. In other words, to become a child, God, we have intimate relationship with him. Fellowship with him. Jesus Christ is our elder brother. Do you understand that? He's not only our savior. He's our elder brother. He's called that in Romans 8.29. Jesus is our elder brother. Jesus is our brother. We are legally adopted out of a situation of bondage. We are no longer sl slaves to sin. We're not slaves. We're children. We're sons. We are to receive the full inheritance from God. All of these are family terms. We are conformed to the pattern of death and resurrection that Christ established himself. We are conformed to what he is like. We share in the common family spirit who is the Holy Spirit. According to Romans 8.14. It says if you don't have the spirit you're none of his. If you're not led by the spirit you're none of his. You see that's who unites us as a family. The spirit of God. In Romans 8.29 it says we are remade. Transformed into God's image. We are born from, a God, from above. We are born from God. As obedient children, we are to imitate the good character of our Father. In other words, all of these terms, all of these concepts have to do with the family. In fact, one scholar said this, and I quote him. So numerous are these family metaphors, and so frequently do they appear, that the comparison of the Christian community with a family must be regarded as the most significant Metaphorical uses of all. In other words, the primary illustration of who we are in Scripture is that of a family. You see, we could say that Christians believe the church is like a body. We could say that the church is like a vine, a branch clinging to the vine. All of that like. But when you come to the family, we cannot say the church is like a family. Why? Why? Because the church is family. Not like, is. That's it. It is a family, you see. So now you might say, so what? Spend all of this time saying all of this, that's sure. Look at all that massive information from Scripture showing us that we are family. We is family because we is one. Well, let's go to First Timothy and get some implication from this biblical truth. You see, the theme of family relationship is Dominant in, the Paul, in, the, in, in Paul's writing, but especially when it comes to his writings to Timothy. For instance, Paul repeatedly invokes the analogy of a family when he writes to Timothy in order for him to better understand the order, the proper order and responsibilities of the church family. For instance, look at how he starts. In verse. Now, you can follow in your Bibles with this one if you'd like. 
chapter 1 verse 2. He says to Timothy, what? My true child in the faith. You notice that? Not, hey, a new recruit in the church. A new member of the organization. No, a new member in the family. My son in the faith. He says in verse 18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. You see, Paul calls Timothy, my son, expressing his, his affection as well as the fact that he, meant, he is a mentor of this young man in the spiritual family of God. Notice chapter 3 now. I want you to show the importance of this, man, of this use here to show that we are family. And we've got to get out of this thinking of an organization and a structure and membership in, a, in, a, in, in some sort of a, a club or an organization. No, 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 we've got to get out of that. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 3. Now the overseer, that's an elder, a pastor, a bishop, all of those are the same thing. Now you might hear all kinds of people today using these terminologies for different people. But from a biblical point of view, an elder, a pastor, overseer, a bishop, they're all one and the same. All right? The overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife. You know what that? The husband of one wife. This is a family in my illustration. And he gives other things down here. Now notice what he says at the end in giving an editorial on these qualifications. If anyone does not know. Well, first of all, let me read the bottom phrase. He must manage his own family. Notice, his own human family. Natural family. He must manage his own family well. And see that as the children obey him with proper respect. Now notice what he says. Here's an editorial. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Notice, he didn't say, now I want you to see what kind of businessman he is. Does he keep good books? Is he successful as a businessman? Does he handle his employers good and employees good and all that? He didn't go into the business realm. He went into the family realm. The pastor, the overseer, the elder must be respectable family men who rule their own houses well. In other words, the requirement concerning managing his own family well is especially important because the same wisdom and skills necessary for godly family management apply to the management of God's family as well. It's useless to have a man as a pastor, an elder, an overseer, and his family is in disarray. It's useless because he's going to bring that same disarray into the church. In other words, how important is the family to Paul? Paul says, you don't get a man to lead the church or to help lead you if his family isn't right. That's how important it is. The church is family. You see. Now look at chapter 3 again. I want you to see this now. How prominent this is. Verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon. I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the family of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. In other words, he says, listen, Timothy, it's so important for Christians to understand their family. I'm writing this letter for you. You see, we look at that letter and we look at it from an organizational point of view, but it's a family thing. 
That's what it is. That's what it says right there. How to behave as a member of the family. You want to know how to behave as a member of the family of God? Go to First Timothy. The whole chapter, the whole book. We're only going to look at chapter 5 today. And we're going to look at it in detail. Why? Because I want you to see the word of God. Not what I have to say about the word, but what the word itself says. Listen now. Here's the application. The church is like a family. The implication? We must treat fellow church members like family. We is family. Now, I don't like to tell people what to say, but I want you to say this. I want to teach you some English today. I want you to say, we is family. Do you believe that if you're a believer? We is family. We really is. We are family. I could speak English a little bit. We are family. All right, let's go to First Timothy. I want to show you some illustrations from Timothy, how Paul uses this uh, image or this truth. First Timothy 1, notice what he says. Verse 1, chapter 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. But that older man here is an older man. It isn't an elder in the sense of a position. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. But rather appeal to him as a father. Now he's telling Timothy, who's a young man, how to deal with men who are older than him. He says, now they might be doing wrong or something happened, but listen here. You rebuke an older man, older man. You treat him with respect, with dignity. That's what he's saying here. You, you know, I, I wish I had read this early in my Christian life because I got a lot of trouble because I didn't obey this verse. Because, see, I thought I knew it all. And then you go to an older person, an elder, and in this case, I'm thinking about now, is a position. Because we were studying the scriptures, and it came across something that seemed to go contrary to what we're teaching. So I went and said, man, what are we doing is wrong. What are you all doing in this church? Women are supposed to be able to pray with men because they say the women and the men were praying together in the upper room. You remember that? You see, that's how brash I was. Well, he, this particular elder must have been taken off God. He said, wait, shut up. <laughs> so who didn't get this? You little upstart. That's right. I tell you, I know I've started. He said, I said, I can leave this church. Thankfully, I didn't. But see, I didn't obey this. I didn't obey this. Now, think about it. Let, let's go on. I just want to get, I want you to get the tone of this, the feeling of this. He says, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters in all purity. In other words, he says, listen, when we are relating to one another in the family, remember that's who we're relating to. We're relating to family members. You treat them with respect. You treat them with dignity. You treat them with honor. Young people, when you... one thing irks me. It's starting over here now, but especially in the States. You know, I'm the old man. My wife ain't quite old as me, but, you know. We go into the restaurant. You know what these little 17, 16-year-old waitress say? Hi, guys. The first time I heard that from a 17-year-old person serving, hi, guys. I could have slapped her. <laughs> but I, you know. But to me, that's not respect for elders. See, that's what we're getting. Now, you're going to see Christians doing it. They're already doing it. Why? Because they're already conformed to the world's pattern. 
And whatever the unsaved do, they're going to do. You see what I'm saying? No, no, no. How are you, ma'am? How are you, sir? Yes, ma'am. You know, are they foreign words? That's not a foreign language, you know. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Those are not foreign words. That's how we are to treat members of the family. That's what he's saying. Just suppose now that we would do that. That just this one verse. Suppose we would obey this and we would treat one another as family. We could revolutionize the church. Behavior, you see. The principle then is this. We're the true believers as family, with respect, with dignity, with decency and honor. We as one. We as family. We have the same father. We have the same elder brother. We're in the same family. That's what he's saying here. But now let's go on. Passage. He then talks about widows. Notice what he says in verse 5. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Boy, that's, listen, he's talking about family. Widows are part of the family. See, sometimes we tend to forget that. I believe that's why he focuses on that. What he's saying is here, widows are members of the church family also. Don't forget that. Just because they've lost the breadwinner doesn't mean that they're not part of the family anymore. Just because the breadwinner can't bring their offering or their tithe, you don't forget her now because she's all alone. She's a part of the family too. You see, church family members are to take the place of the, widow, the widow's husband. That's the word honor. That word honor just means respect and say, yes, ma'am. That's the part of it, mind you. But that word honor is not there. That word means to provide for materially or financially. We take care of her because the breadwinner is no longer there. That's what he's saying. He's talking about family. He doesn't say now, send him down to social services. Help her get a card. No, uh, uh, uh. Not a member of the family. You understand? Now you will treat somebody who's not your family, but not a member of the family. You don't tell your brother, okay, go down to social service or go over to Christian council and try to get a handout. Mm-mm. That's not the family. But now Paul puts a stipulation. We only to care for widows, what? If they are widows indeed. Now, that's where the thing comes up. Widows indeed. Well, who's a widow indeed? Well, let's look at scripture. Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. In other words, the children or grandchildren of the able should be taking care of the widowed mother and grandmother. And to make some return to their parents. In other words... He's saying it to, now he's, he's talking to Christians here. Listen, you adult people here, when your mother is alone, no more father, you are to take over. They've given you all during your life. Now, the dad is gone. He says, time for you to pay up. That's what it says here. We, Make some returns to their parents. Why? For this is acceptable in the sight of God. One of the most disgraceful things is to see a Christian who's able to take care of a widow mother and to put her someplace else. Because it's too much trouble for me. Yeah, for the unsaved, that might be okay. Well, it's not okay, but they might do it. But not for the Christian. That's what Paul is saying there. For this is acceptable 
in the sight of God. In the sight of God. We're not talking in your sight or the sight of man, but in the sight of God. In other words, she has to have no surviving adult children or grandchildren. You see, we as family, and family must take care of family. Now, this is the word of God. Now, how you take this, it's going to depend on the spirit of God prepares your heart. Because some of you are going to entertain. You can reject it. You're not even going to hear it. Because you know it's going to bring responsibility and obligation on you. You see. But my responsibility is to proclaim the word, not to make it soft for you or for me. Look at verse 5. Now he who is, a, he who is a widow indeed, and who has, that should be she. She who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. In other words, Paul is saying not only must she have no surviving children or grandchildren who can take care of her, but she must be living a godly lifestyle and involved in the church. I see, Paul, now this is where we get. See, because sometimes some people believe, I'm a widow, and anytime I have a need, I go to the church because the Bible says, take care of widows. Mm-mm. The stipulations. Is this widow still living a godly life? Is she involved in the ministry of the family, the church family? Now, I didn't make these rules. Paul says, I'm writing this to Timothy so you may know how to conduct yourselves in the family of God. And one of them is this, when you're caring for widows and you must make sure that she's a widow indeed. And who is a widow indeed? Well, she don't have any children or grandchildren who can take over. Two, she's faithful in the church and she's living a godly life. Now, that's what the word, does it say that or not? Does it say that? I didn't make that, I didn't write that. And I stayed up late last night, but I didn't write this. Look at verse 9. A widow is to be put on the list only. You see, there was a list. There was a list. And they had the names of widows indeed. Not all widows. Just because you're a widow, you wasn't on this list. You had to be a widow indeed. And he gives who is a widow indeed. Notice what he says. A widow is to be put on a lifestyle if she is first, not less than 60 years old. Now, that's something boys say, boy, Paul is kind of prejudiced against women. Why do you mean 60? I can tell you why in a moment. Number two, having been the wife of one man. Boy, that's hard in the days, you know. You get some... But that's what it says, isn't it? I'm only saying it here now. Now, some say this it doesn't mean that she wasn't married more than once. I mean, not divorce and remarriage, man, not that. But that, in other words, uh, that should not, some say it means not having more than one husband at the same time and so on. But I believe what Paul is talking about that this woman is not a, woman, uh, a manizer. You know, we say a man is a womanizer. Well, this woman is not a manizer who goes after anything she can see. We'll see the reason in a minute. Three, having a reputation for good works. She's known for doing things good in the family of God. Four, and she has brought up children. Now, this seems to assume that a widow is a widow if you have children. Now, there's a little problem with that because suppose she's a widow, she ain't got no children. But we got other scriptures to take care of that. I'm just giving you what this one says now. Number five, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, she's hospitable. She opens a home. Six, if she has washed the saints' feet, that has to do with being a servant. Remember Jesus? He got down, he washed the disciples' feet. 
He says, I'm doing this to show you that you should be willing to serve. That's what he's talking about, a servant to the people of God. Seven, if she has assisted those in distress. In other words, there was a time when she herself was assisting others who were in distress. Now, all of these are qualifications for being a widow indeed, and whether or not they're going to be taken care of by the church. Eight, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Now, notice, verse 11. But refuse to put younger women on the list. Now she can tell you why you can't put anybody over 60. So now you want a biblical definition for who is young? Anyone under 60? All right. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. One. And now she gives them number one. For when they feel sensual desires in this regard of Christ, they want to get married. Now, but now they're talking about living an immoral life. They've rejected Christ's reign, rule, lordship in their life. And they're looking for anybody. Jesus wants a husband. Why? Because he can take care of me. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you are. Whether you belong to another family or not. That's what he's talking about. Watch out. Don't support those kind of people. Twelve. Thus, incurring condemnation. From who? Not the church. From God. Number two. Because they have set aside their previous pledge. The idea is here that when they were younger and when they were married and when they were even after that, they had committed themselves to serving Jesus Christ. But then it kind of got boring. Things started to get a little tough. And so they're looking for anything with pants on. Well, no, I'm not going to go there. Because they have set aside the previous pledge. Verse 13. At the same time, number three, they also learned... To be idle. See, this is what happens. The younger widows now. As they go around from house to house. Not merely being merely idle. In other words, just not sitting on a talk. No, no, no. Say, but also gossips and busybodies. Church ain't supposed to take care of no widow if she is a gossiper or a busybody in other people's business. Things are getting tough now, hey. Therefore... I want younger widows to get married. Dear children, keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. The church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. In other words, he's saying, now listen, the funds that come in, the funds that the people of God give to help others, make sure you're helping those who have a real need. That's what you're saying. And so it's up to the leaders of the church to be able to discern whether or not a person qualifies. Sometimes the people who come to help don't like us due to that, doing it. We do some of these things, mind you. We don't publicize them, but we do these things. And sometimes certain people come in, and why? Because of these things, we can't help until they start to turn to God and help themselves. You see. Now notice what he says. Strong admonition here. Verse 7. Go back now. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. In other words, you put these things into action, so that the people of God, the family of God, will be free of reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he is denied the faith, and is worse than a pagan. That's the word for unbeliever. Those Christians who don't care for their own family and they have the means to do so, 
God says you could call yourself a Christian and a member of the family all you like. But as far as I'm concerned, you're just like the pagans. You're like the family of the devil, not the family of God. Powerful word, say. That's the word of God. You see, he's talking about a family relationship. But there are rules and order to be followed. Here's the concluding principle then. Two, one, caring for members of both one's church family and one's natural family is a mark of a true member of the family of God. You want to know whether or not you're a Christian? Really, according to these passages, check out how you are treating your family. How you're caring for them. Two, widows must be shown special care, but only if they meet specific requirements as given by God. Not just God blank. You understand that? Not just God blank. Paul says, I'm writing these things so you would know the policies you need to observe in the household of God. And they're there when it comes to a widow. And then finally, and this one, the church family is not to be burdened with needs one's own family can meet. Now, that's why I'm saying to you now, we are here. We are here to help in any way we can. But we are going to do everything we can to determine whether or not your needs are legitimate. You say, what do you mean? You don't trust us? No. <laughs> because too many people are trying to keep their money to do what they want with it and get help from other people, especially the church. They see the church as a soft touch. Oh, yeah. You Christian, ma, you're supposed to. Oh, no, 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 no. Not according to the word of God. And you could think we are hard and, and, and uncaring, but we're following scripture. You understand what I'm saying? Paul says, I'm writing these things so you would know the policies, the directions that you need to run a good family. That's what he's saying here. Now, he ends up this passage by talking about leaders in the family, pastors. Notice what he says, verse 17. The elders, the pastors who rule well, and here's the qualification, not just because you're ruling, but you rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now notice this word, honor is the same word having to do with widows. This doesn't mean show your leaders respect. Now you need to do that. That's right, just in case you didn't know. But this means that you need to take care of them financially, materially. The same way honor the widows, Caring for financially, materially, honor those who lead you. That's what he's saying here. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. <laughs> now you see, I had never used the preacher's passage before, but you know why? Because people say, well, the preachers, they think I'm being kind of. But I'm sorry, that's in the text. And I always I tell everybody this. If you all don't take care of me, God can take care of you. Look at it now. Especially those who work hard. At, notice I want you to see the same way with the widows. There are qualifications to be met. There are qualifications for the leaders. You have to be leading well. You have to be working hard. Boy, I'm sweating today. Man. <laughs> Verse 18. For the scripture says, you should, not muzzle Allah, I'm sorry, you should not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, I don't like that word labor in there, but I'll show you the principle in a moment. Here's the principle. Members of the church family must care for the leaders as members of a family. 
not hired laborers. See, sometimes that's how we treat our leaders. How do you, what do you pay? Well, look around, see what the business people are paying. That's how you come up with, is that how you take care of family members? That's the point here. You treat your leaders as a member of the family, not as an outside hired hand. That's the principle, you see. Now notice this, here's another principle concerning leaders. Members of the church family must care for the leaders as members of a family, not hired laborers. Verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop on the basis of two or three witnesses. In other words, gossip. Just because somebody says something about me, you just don't go run with that. Don't go down to the punch because you hear something from somebody else. In other words, trust your leader. Give him the benefit of the doubt until something can be verified. you understand what I'm saying? You see, this is why I am still distressed. I am still haven't gotten over this thing with Ted Heikajet. If Ted would have gotten this as, yes, I'm sinned, please forgive me. I think that would be so great. Well, you know, in the situation. But he lied when he was confronted. I don't know this person. I don't know him. And then he goes on, yeah, I know him, but I didn't do that. Then he, he went on, lie after lie after lie. And it's come to find that this man was living a light of this life of deceit. Now, according to this scripture, he's got to be disciplined if he does not repent. And he must be disciplined publicly. Notice what it says. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, in other words, they're confronted with this sin. Oh, no, yes, sometimes we sin. But then there's confession that can be made, repentance. But those who do not repent, those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, not in the office. Because the leader's sin is not a private sin. It's a sin that affects their congregation. And they need to be rebuked openly. Why? Because let the others fear to know if they do it, it's going to happen to them as well. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest who will be, the rest will be fearful of sinning. This is not the rest of the congregation. This is the rest of the leadership. You see, and that's why I hope they deal this right. I, I just hope that somewhere along the line, Ted Haggard is openly and publicly rebuked for his sin. Of course, every opportunity for repentance, and he seems that he's on that road. Let's pray that he is. Let's pray that God will turn this around to something that honors and glorifies him, rather than blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ. God can turn this ugly thing into, not the event, but the results, the consequences, into something beautiful for the people of God. We need to pray for that. So the principle, the leaders of the church families must, protect, must be protected from unjust accusations. Now, please, that's why I'm saying, watch what you eat for lunch. Just because Pastor Lee is being served, don't mean that you have to eat him. Somebody get around the table, you hear about this Pastor Lee? Oh, yeah. What about you? Yeah. So you start to go around, and you're picking it up. You see? Leaders of church families must be protected from unjust accusations. If you hear anything, ask them to prove it. Okay, come talk to Pastor Lee. Come talk to Pastor Anna. Come talk to Pastor uh, Albury. See, that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you become a partaker of this sin. Leaders of church families must be protected from unjust accusations, but they must be disciplined publicly if they do not repent from their sin. 
Now, all of this has to do with the context of the family. Does it make a difference? You bet your life. Discipline in the family is, being, is different from being disciplined by the court. Isn't that right? Discipline is there, but it has to be done in a loving, compassionate way, forgiving way, but it has to be done nonetheless. That's the family. We is one. All those of us who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, we is one. We are brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is our elder brother. The Holy Spirit, some people say, what is he? Somebody wrote me about that. Who was it? Somebody. And we were talking about it. I believe that the Holy Spirit can be seen as another elder brother. You say, why? You remember when Jesus went away? He says, I'm going so I could send another just like me. That's what he said. That's what I mean, another comforter, another one just like me. He's going to take my place. In other words, what I was doing while I'm here physically, he's going to be able to do to all of you at the same time. That's why I believe that Jesus too, I mean the Holy Spirit too, is our elder brother. He's there to help and to provide. We as family friends, let us treat one another in that fashion. Tonight we're going to be looking at this theme from 1 John chapter 3. When we see how being family members distinguish us from being the family of the devil. And if our lifestyle, our characteristics do not fall in line with this, you better examine yourself and see whether you be in the faith. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how much ministry you've been doing. But if you don't fall in line, John is a black and white preacher. That's not racial. That's fact from fiction. He tells it as it is. He says, you do this. If you don't do it, you don't belong to God, no matter how much you say it. You see, that's what he's talking. We're going to look at that tonight. We as family. Are you a member of the family of God today? I trust that you are. If you're not, you can come out of that wicked family, the family of the devil, by placing faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your elder brother. Own God as your Father. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection, you could become a part of the family of God. And then we can say to you too, we is one. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross because of our faith in him. A wonderful, incredible family has been created. The family of God. Thank you for making me a member of the family of God. How many would like to say that right now? Thank you for making me a member of the family of God. Let's say it again. Thank you. And all of God's people said...